Colossians chapter 2. Father, thank you for the privilege of your word. You know what each person here needs this morning. Just help me get out of your way. In Jesus' name. So Paul has been sharing with uh, these people he has never even met, though he loves them. And he wants to motivate people. He wants to inspire them to grow in their knowledge of Jesus and their relationship with Jesus. He wants them to know what they have in Jesus, Christ in them, the hope of glory. And so in chapter 2, he starts out and he says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. He doesn't put any details in here exactly what it is, but we can take a look and find out uh, and make a good case for what he was struggling, what he wanted to share with them. And I think I found at least three things. One of them, he struggled for them in prayer. And uh, we'll look at that. He struggled for them by keeping himself close to God. And he struggled for them against false teachers. But he wants them to know. I mean, I would especially, if you're a mom here, and you, I have a barely an understanding of what moms must go through when they're trying to care for their children, especially children who may just, they just don't get it. Okay? And you want them and you wish for them, I wish you knew. Because then you would take less advantage of me and you would be a larger person as a result. And so here's Paul, he's saying, he's not saying, look at me, look how great I am. He's saying, I want you to know that this Christian life is serious stuff. The non-Christian life is serious stuff. Life is serious stuff. And he said, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. Because if you knew, if you even knew, it may help you. It may enlarge you. And I'm certain it would. I could line up 50 kids here and I could ask them one question. I said, do you appreciate your parents? And you could tell a lot about a kid just with that. So Paul's saying, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. He t- and he's struggling in prayer. 
he told the Thessalonians, we always thank God for all of you mentioning you in our prayers. He told the Philippians, I pray in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy. Told the Ephesians, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Told the Romans, God is my witness how constantly I remember you at all times in my prayers. He told the Colossians, verse 9, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Told the Corinthians, I always thank God for you. And in chapter 4, he says, Epaphras is always wrestling with for you in prayer. And Paul wrestled for the Colossians in prayer. And we know that he was in prison. We know that he was beaten. We know he went through all kinds of struggles. And he was struggling himself to keep himself in his own walk with God. Seriously in tune. Walking close with God so that he could stay connected to the vine. The head, Jesus. So that he had so have something worthwhile basically to offer Christ to other people. So he struggled in that, in a sense, too. And that was a constant part. He told the Philippians in chapter 3, he said, I press on to know Christ. Whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss, and I press on to know Christ. He told the Corinthians in chapter 9, he said this in chapter 9, he said, do you not know that in the race all the runners won't run, but only one gets a prize? Run in such a way to get a prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict trainer. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Wow. Think about what that means in the use of your time, in the use of your energy, in the use of your talents. I do not run like a man running aimlessly. You could change the country overnight. Take any man between 18 and 25 and tell him to stop being aimless. He would change. You would change a nation. And so he wrestled to make sure that as he was praying for people, he was governing his life. I buffet my body and make it my slave so that when I preach to others, I will not find myself disqualified for the prize. He was determined to walk circumspectly before the Lord for the sake of these people. So he's saying, I want you to know I'm struggling for you. I'm praying for you and I'm following Christ hard. I'm seeking to grow. And in 2 Corinthians, he recorded this in his letter to the Corinthians when he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he was just telling them a little bit about what was going on. And he said, hey, there's people that uh, think that they're followers of Christ. Are they? So am I. They think they're Israelites. So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. So 11.23, are they servants of Christ? I have worked harder than them, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received lashes from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times shipwrecked. I spent a day and night in the open sea. I've been constantly in, on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, 
in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. So when he says, I want you to know I'm struggling for you, so they would realize, you know, if somebody says, hey, I'm praying for you, one thing, be thankful and grateful. And know that Paul said, I'm encouraged because of your prayers. And that matters. But to know somebody's struggling for you and somebody's pulling with you, he wants to encourage them. He wants them to grow. So then there, as I read through the passage, it seemed to me there was a, some glaring things. He said, when he says, this is my purpose, my purpose is, first he wants them to know that he's struggling for them. And then he tells them, this is my purpose, basically, that you'd be encouraged in heart, that you'd be knighted in love, that you'd have the full riches of understanding, that you would know the mystery of God, which is namely Christ, so that you will not be deceived. So I'm just going to kind of unpack what I've found here. But there's a strong purpose, and he wants them to know that. But before we dive into the passage specifically, I want you to take a second and just pause. Think right now of someone you knew or someone you know right now who at one time in their life was walking encouraged in heart, united in love, and they were reaping the riches of that walk with Christ. And they now, not so much. Now maybe they listen to some whispers and they're making some poor choices and they're being deceived and led astray. So why is Paul so earnest? When he, uses, when he says, I am struggling for you, and he used that word also, in verse 29 of chapter 1, to this end I struggle with all his energy, which so mightily works in me, struggling to present them mature in Christ, working hard for them, to teach them, to lead them, to guide them, to protect them, to pray for them. Why is Paul so serious? Why is he struggling for them? Why should you be serious about the people you have in your life? Well, because of things like this. Jesus warned his disciples, soon as I leave, watch out. False teachers are coming. Many will come in my name and say, I am him. Follow me. Paul warned the Corinthians about false apostles, deceitful workmen masquerading as apostles of Jesus. He told the Galatians, some false brothers have infiltrated our ranks, despairing our freedom to make us slaves. He told Timothy, stay in Ephesus that you can stop those who are false, teaching false doctrines. It makes me think of a guy named Demas in 2 Timothy. Demas the deserter says, Demas deserted me. And then he said, everyone else has left me. No one stayed to defend me in my struggles. And if you remember, 
when he said, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. The word Laodicea might ring a bell and it might lead you to Revelation. So I want you to turn there quickly with me. Just for a second. That's the last book in the Bible. So if you come to Revelation 20, turn back to Revelation chapter 1. Paul receives this revelation of Jesus Christ and Jesus is going to speak to the seven churches. And he's going to write in chapter 1, verse 4, or chapter 2, verse 4, I know your deeds, your hard work. I better slow down here a second. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4. He was talking to the church at Ephesus, one of the places Paul was, people he prayed for, people he loved. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you, you've forsaken your first love. This is one of the reasons Paul is so earnest to tell them, I'm struggling for you, this is what my purpose is, that you would be encouraged in heart, that you would be united in love, that you would know the full riches that you would know the mystery of God, namely Christ, and that you wouldn't be deceived. Okay? Because there's people that are going to be leaving their first love. It goes on in chapter 2, verse 10, and he's talking to Smyrna. And he says, Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for days. There's going to be a struggle. If you determine and decide to follow Christ, you can guarantee that you're going to need to roll up your sleeves from time to time and you will go through it. You will be tested. Your faith will be tested. Your commitment will be tested. Your love will be tested. So Paul says, my purpose is that you'd be united in Christ, encouraged in heart, united in Christ, have the full riches of understanding because he knows some things, doesn't he? He's seen it firsthand. Demas deserted him. Other people left him. And he knows that some of these churches are not going to stand. It says in verse 20, it's still in Revelation, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Okay? Some people walking with Christ, starting out this journey, and they only go halfway, and they tolerate sin. They tolerate sexual immorality. They tolerate idolatry. It's going to bring them down. Paul knows that. Chapter 3, to the church in Sardis. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Wake up. Wake up. And then to the church in Laodicea. So he says, I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea. Colossae and Laodicea are not that far apart. They may be mingled together once in a while for some celebrations even. They would have known of each other. So they're included in this letter. And he wants them to know that he's struggling for them because look at what Jesus says to them in the future about their own future. Verse 15, I know your deeds, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. 
So Paul is earnest about this because he knows there's danger. So at the end of this passage of encouragement, flip back to Colossians 2. He tells him these things. I want you to be encouraged in heart, strengthened in heart, basically that means. That you would have a strong heart. That you'd be united in love. That you'd have the full riches of understanding. And that you would know the mystery of God because, look at that, verse 4. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you through fine-sounding arguments. Because there's going to be people that come with fine-sounding arguments to lead you this way, lead you that way. In Acts chapter 20, you can just mark it down. I want to get back and stay in Colossians after this. But in Acts chapter 20, Paul gathered the elders from the Ephesus church. And they were rehearsing some of their history together and sharing life together. And Paul said, you know, I know none of you will see me again on this earth. But listen, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of Christ. Now I know that none of you will see me again. Therefore I declare today that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves. It's interesting. He didn't just say wolves will come. Wolves will come among you and not spare the flock. He said savage wolves. Maybe they haven't eaten for months. They'd be almost dead if they hadn't eaten for months. But a group of savage wolves that are going to come among the flock... Even from among your own number, men will rise up to distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after themselves. So he is earnest that they would understand. He is earnest that they would understand his purposes. He would earnest that they would understand how serious the Christian life is. Earnest that they would be rooted and grounded and built up in Christ. So back to Colossians 2. Just work through some of this. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and all have not met me personally. My purpose is that you'd be encouraged in heart. Strengthened. The word encourage means to have strength added to your life. If I was to have a show of hands here, when you're having a bad day and you feel discouraged in your heart, anybody been there, you had a bad day and you feel discouraged in your heart, you know what that feels like, right? It's hard to accomplish anything. It's hard to move forward. So Paul says, I want you to be, rather than discouraged, I want you to be encouraged. I want your heart to be strengthened. Same word. That you would have a strong heart. That you would move forward. Encourage, strengthen in heart. In the, in the word heart, in the scriptures, it's not this kind of heart. Oh, I have this funny feeling in my stomach and my heart just yearns to be with you. Okay? It's not that, he's not talking about lust, he's not talking about infatuation, he's not talking about funny feelings. He's talking about the intellectual 
the emotional center of the person, the center of a person, the mind, the will, the emotions, the totality which would best describe that person. I mean, we, we know that Bill here has had a stroke, but that doesn't define who he is in his heart. The heart of Bill, I don't even know you, brother, but to me you seem like a warrior. And you're a fighter, and you're going to go on, right? And the Lord still has work for you here. And you're going to fight through whatever you have to fight through. That's your heart, I imagine, okay? So Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the wellsprings of life. And throughout Scripture, heart describes that which is most central to the person. The mind, the will, the emotions. Heart is used to describe, as you go through Scripture, it's used to describe a person's thoughts. It's used to describe a person's actions and reactions. It's used to describe a person's character, their motives, their beliefs, a person's emotions, even a person's conscience. It's the belief center of that particular person. I, I love the study of the heart, so sometimes I just go back and I keep this list of all these verses. and just. Let me read a couple of them, and you'll get the picture of why he might want them to be encouraged in heart. It says in Genesis, talking about mankind, the thoughts of his heart were only evil all the time. Talking about God, his heart was filled with grief. Another thing, talking about God, that a sacrifice rose up as a pleasing aroma and he said in his heart, this is pleasing. Pharaoh's heart became hardened. But this time also Pharaoh hardened his heart. The Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. Each man whose heart was led to give. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Our brother's by their behavior, have made us lose heart. His heart became obstinate. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. To love Him and serve Him without a grudging heart. Weary with longing and a despairing heart. My heart rejoices in the Lord. Go ahead, I am with you, Jonathan said. Heart and soul. To know in your heart all the wrong you did in this sense of repentance. Because it was in your heart to build a temple, you did well to have this in your heart. Said of David, his wives turned his heart after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord because his heart had turned away, because your heart was responsive. But Hezekiah's heart was proud. And then Hezekiah repented of the pride in his heart. This can be nothing of sadness of the heart. That's why Paul would want their hearts to be encouraged. Their hearts to be strong. 
It's probably the most substantial desire he could have for them. Because a person's heart is central to who they are at their core. Because he loves them. Because so much is at stake. Because the heart is a compass and a road map. Do you know right now where the dial of your heart is set? Do you know? Could you project because of where the dial of your heart is set, where you'll be five years from now? And so for Paul to say, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for all those who have not met me personally, my purpose is that you would be encouraged in heart. That's all. That's all he wanted. If you could be encouraged in heart. And he means by that that their heart would be set on the Lord. Their, their heart would be set on those things that are upright and pure and excellent. That their heart would be in tune to what God has for them. Because the heart can be corrupted. The heart can be made new. He says, I want you to, my purpose is that you be encouraged in heart. We would gather together on Sunday morning. I would hope that you would know this. We don't want to gather together on a Sunday morning to check some kind of blank. We want to gather together on Sunday morning so that we'd be encouraged in heart. So we'd be able to face today and tomorrow and the next day so that we won't be deceived by somebody with fine-sounding arguments that comes to offer us trinkets instead of the full riches. Some false teacher who sells us a sham that looks good, sounds good, feels good, but is empty. He wanted them to be encouraged in heart. He also said he wanted to be united in love. This word united means welded together, being knit together. And this is not the kind of love that we know in the world. This is agape love. I want you to be united in love. So this isn't the kind of love that um, is just there for the good times. It's there for the bad times, the good times, and everything in between. Now, this is God's love that never fails. That 1 Corinthians 13 talks about God's love is radically different than human love. Human love needs to be supplanted and sustained and strengthened, transformed by God's love. So he says, I want you to be encouraged in heart, united in love. God's love that's sufficient. God's love that's not based on the loveliness of the person he loves, but on his character. There's a basic unity of identity. As Christians, in Christ, we have the same Father, the Father God. We're united in that. In Christ, we have the same Savior, Jesus. We have the same Spirit living in us. We, have the, we receive the same eternal light, life. We're redeemed by the same blood, the same death on the cross, the same resurrection. We're united by His life, His love, His Spirit. We studied the same scriptures. Philippians 2. He said to the Philippians, if you have any encouragement from being in Christ, 
if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others more important than yourselves. So we're united in a, a selfless type ambition. We're united in our love for truth. We're united in our practice of obedience. We're united in our practice of love and attempting to serve one another. We're united in our prayers for one another. We're united in the sense that we have forgiveness. So we forgive one another. We support and help one another. We defend each other. One of my favorite passages in Ephesians when he's describing Paul's writing to the the church at Ephesus, and he's describing basically the work of the body. And he says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So there's a basic unity. I want you to be unified in love. Encouraging heart, united in love. Colossians chapter 3, look what he says there. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So as followers of Christ, he told these Colossians, my purpose is that you'd be encouraged in heart and united in love. And that would lead to having a greater understanding of the full riches of what we have in Christ. So Paul's hope and prayer and work and struggle for the Colossians is that they'd be encouraged in the unifying power of love. Paul wants them to be unified in love because God loves them. He loves them. So this is William. Can you imagine? Paul is just an example of what it means to be full in Christ. His overflow of his relationship with Christ is his earnestness that the other Christians, whom he hasn't even met yet, would be strengthened in heart, united in love, having the capacity to receive the full riches of complete understanding. 127 of Colossians, he uses glorious riches that you would know the glorious riches. In Ephesians 3.8, he talks about unsearchable riches. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ. He's the mystery of God, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So, we're not finished with this passage, but at least we've got some introductory to this next section of this chapter 
and why Paul would be so earnest that they would be rooted and grounded, that they would continue, and that they would be rooted and grounded in Christ. Because the Christian life is one of an ongoing walk. It's a one of consistent step in the same direction. And yes, we stumble, we fall. But it's a life lived in relationship with Jesus and with Jesus' followers. To be encouraged in heart, to be united in love, to celebrate the full riches of complete understanding. So if you don't know Christ, if you don't know He loves you and you don't know what He's accomplished, then you can't receive or understand or begin to appreciate the full riches of what Paul's asking them not to miss out on and praying for them that they wouldn't miss out on. The glorious riches of this mystery, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we have the opportunity as we wrap up just to ask ourselves, you could put this this grid on yourself. Are you encouraged in heart? If you're not encouraged in heart, why not? Not to be beat up, but to be lifted up. If you're not encouraged in heart, you could be. If you're not united in love, don't stay there. Go find some people who know the definition of love and they're practicing love and walk with them. And you'll find your life changed. If you're not enjoying the full riches of complete understanding, when you look through the Scriptures, it talks about people that aren't walking with Christ. It says they're darkened in their understanding. It says they can't understand the things of God. They're missing out. They're living on earth, but what do they have? If they don't know the full riches of Christ, if they're not growing in a relationship with Christ, what do they really have? What do any of us really have? And so Paul, beeline my purpose, you'd be united. My purpose, you'd be encouraged. My purpose, you'd have complete understanding. Don't be deceived. Father, thanks for your grace. Thanks for your glory. Thanks for your son, Jesus. Thanks for men like Paul who pursued you passionately so that we might know. That we might know you. And he pointed to you. Help us, God, to point to you, to one another, to encourage one another, to be built up, to look to your word, to look to your spirit, to go be with other people who are following hard after you. To call a friend, say, I'm not encouraged, I need to be encouraged. What can we do about it together? Father, help us to grow in our pursuit and our passion of you. In Jesus' precious name, amen.